Hi, friends. Welcome to Season 5 of The Activity Continues, a paranormal podcast. I'm Amy, the producer and host of this show, along with Megan and the other Amy. We are three soul friends who love to talk about the Dead Files TV show, along with other spooky and spooky-adjacent things. We are just starting our third year, and it's going to be the best one yet. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan, our resident scaredy cat. (laughs) I love this stuff, but it absolutely terrifies me. (laughs) It doesn't terrify me. Me neither. Most of the time. Hey, everyone. I'm the other Amy, sometimes referred to as Amy, Amy P, or AP. And I'm the voice of reason in the chaos, trying to keep these two spooky, goofy, lovely ladies in line. (laughs) We're creating a community of like-minded friends who love to discuss all things paranormal. Along with our thoughts and tangents, you will also hear listener stories and interviews with paranormal professionals, Dead Files clients, and people with personal paranormal experiences. So far, we've spoken to a witch, an intuitive, a shaman, a UFO abductee, and a handful of Dead Files clients. We're always looking for more cool and interesting people to talk to. So if you're interested, please reach out to theactivitycontinues at gmail.com or fill out the guest intake form on our website, theactivitycontinues.com. We'd love to hear from you. Come join us where the The activity activity continues. Land, and thank you for joining us for our season finale. For once, we're not going to suggest that you go back and listen to the other previous episodes because this one's kind of a standalone. However, if you have no idea who Kid Can is and this is your very first listen, you probably will be a little lost. So Google Kid Can or Isidore Blumenfield or Blumenfeld before you start. Otherwise, I hope you still enjoy it. Uh, we are your hosts. I'm Amy. And I'm Heather, and we're so excited to have you here. Yay. Tonight, we are drinking the Fancy Free. Um, It is a cocktail with two ounces of rye whiskey, a half an ounce of maraschino liqueur, a dash of Angostura bitters, a dash of orange bitters, and an orange twist for garnish. We don't have any oranges, so there's just some extra bitters. No, but we do have these fancy cherries. These are the um, the cherries that... Um, Heather's father yes. gave her and she brought them over and we've been enjoying those. And it is delicious. It's quite um, potent. It's potent. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause it's all booze, right? 
Pretty much. Yep. And I don't think there's anything in there that's not booze. So yeah, I can feel the heartburn starting already. So we got a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and that is excellent. We love five-star reviews. Um, Tiago Raider wrote, so focused. I always love finding a show with such a laser focus on a specific time and place. The depth of exploration here is impressive because it's such a specific slice of history, handled brilliantly. Recommend 10 out of 10. So thank you so much, Tiago Raider. Yes, thank <laughs> you. That's amazing. And I don't know who that is. <laughs> you know, a lot of times I'll be like, oh, that's my cousin or whatever, but I don't know who that is. <laughs> so whoever you are, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, we also hit a nice milestone on October 25th, 2021. We surpassed 1,000 downloads of the show. So that's exciting. That is great. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Let's get 1,000 more. Yes. Uh, So thank you, everybody, for listening and downloading and hopefully enjoying the show. Once we get, (laughs) so this makes it sound like it's not actually that great, but once we get 5,000 downloads per week, we can start doing ads. (laughs) So tell your friends. So tell your friends, (laughs) because we need some podcast money. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we can't, we, we need 10 times what we have, I guess, is what it comes down to, I think. I don't know. I can't do math. We've, we've discussed that. Yeah, math is bad. Yeah, math's hard. So also, um, I registered us on a website slash portal called Good Pods, which I think is kind of like Goodreads for books, you oh, know? okay. That so you sense. go in and you put, you, you, it's kind of like social media and you sign up for, um, you sign up and then you put in all the podcasts you're listening to and then you share it with your friends and then you're, you see what ones your friends are listening to and then you can recommend the podcast to each other and stuff. So I got an email from them saying that um, we were ranked in the top 100 listener charts in three categories. Excellent. I know. So in indie history, in independent podcasts, History, we ranked number 37 out of 100. Uh, In Indie True Crime, we ranked 57, which I think is pretty good because there's a gazillion true crime podcasts out there. So that's pretty good, I think. I'm happy with it. Mm -hmm. And then in Top 100 History Podcasts, not just Indie, we rank 73. So that's not bad. Excellent. Not bad at all. So... After this airs, we'll be taking a small break, celebrating holidays, etc. And this will serve as the end of season one right now, what we're doing. Um, And this focused on Kid Can and his reign in Minneapolis during the 20s and 30s. And we are working on a season two, um, which will be called Single Barrel Theory. And we kind of came up with that name, um, kind of based on two themes from this season, um, Guns and Booze, right? So there's single barrel shotguns and then there's single barrel bourbon um and bourbon is something we like here over in volstead land right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah each episode in season two will be a standalone deep dive based off of maybe something we talked about in season one Mm -hmm. yeah we're really excited about that yeah yeah i want to give heather um appropriate props because she came up with that name and i really like it so yeah 
We're going to be taking turns researching and telling the stories, and we'll cover them one at a time. Like she said, each story, one episode, unless there happens to be something that's really big and we want to break it into two, maybe we'll do that. Um, but for the most part, it'll be each episode, a standalone story, and we're going to trade off doing one. So like I think we talked about last time, Heather's already working on one for Machine Gun Kelly. And I am working on one that is the, um, the story that we talked about last time with, um, Kid Can's white slavery trial, yes. which is, yes. yeah. And because that is, there's so much stuff in there and there's a lot I haven't even uncovered yet. And I have an idea for another one as well that I haven't even told oh, you about yet. So we'll talk about that oh. later. It's a secret. Yeah, I have a couple <laughs> other ideas too. Um, yeah, so that's, that's going to be super fun. So while you're waiting for those, uh, I just wanted to let you know that I do have a couple other podcasts. One of them is called Collected Sounds, and that's where I just read stories. And up to now, they're just ghost stories. Um, and I talked to my mom yesterday, and she said, I tried to listen to your story. But um, first of all, she had trouble understanding me because I I trail out at the end of my sentences, apparently, and I'm sure I do. Um, but she also said, then I realized it was about ghosts and I didn't want to listen to it anyway. So, um, <laughs> oh, I know, Barb, Barb. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not even scary. I mean, it's a little creepy, but it's not scary. You know, I don't want to give away anything, but it's, it's not scary. It's just a cool story. And then I'm also working on another podcast that is called Tales from the Shift. And it's going to be about people's work experiences, like weird jobs they've had or, regular jobs where they've had weird experiences, funny stories, sad stories, um, scary stories. I have, I have, um, next week I'm interviewing somebody who worked overnights at a convent. As, Ooh, where did you find that person? Well, um, I'll tell you later who she is. <laughs> um, cause oh. I'm not sure. I don't know if she wants to be anonymous. Okay. Let me do it or not. So, uh, I won't, I won't tell you yet who it is. And then I'm going to talk to a nurse. Uh, I'm going to talk to a sex worker. I've got like a bunch of people lined up. So that's going to be fun. I've done one interview so far. And then I've got this next one next week. And then so if anybody has any cool stories about your job, we got drag racing outside, I guess. <laughs> if anyone listening has any cool stories about your job or um, anything that happened to you while you were at work that you want to discuss, we can do it over Zoom like this, or we can do it on the phone and I can disguise your voice. You can be anonymous or you can be credited, however, however you like. So hit me up at the number in the show notes or, the, or volsteadland at gmail.com. So check the show notes for the um, contact info and let me know if you want to be on the podcast. And then I, oh, I plan to la launch that early next year, like January, February, maybe depending on how many I get done. I want to try and get them all in the can and wrapped up before I release because I don't want to be struggling to get something out every week. Mm -hmm. And I do want to have that one be weekly instead of every two weeks. Okay. So, um, oh, uh, did you want to say something? Oh, I was going to say that can go on forever. I mean, yeah. Like you can, I mean, as long as I there's a people. lot of people with jobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people without jobs too. <laughs> Um, some by choice, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not working right now, but I have some crazy stories that maybe I'll interject and, you know, weave into mine too. Also, 
Our friend Melissa, who runs the Skylark Bell podcast, she just finished season one or book one of the Skylark Bell, and she's now working on book season two. But she's releasing some fun short stories in between while she's on hiatus, which she's not really on hiatus if she's still writing stories and (laughs) recording them and putting (laughs) them out. But in between seasons, she's doing that. And the other day, she sent me one to read because she was like, I don't know, is it too weird? And actually, I'm like, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I like weird. So she sent it to me and I loved it. I totally had something in my eye. Um, (laughs) It was it was really good. So I'm really excited for that. She's recording it this week. It's going to come out just two days after this one comes out. I think it's coming out on the 12th and this should be out on the 10th. So look out for that. It's in the Skylark Bell podcast and um, it's called The Wedding Dress and it's going to be super good. Awesome. Yeah. Unleash the power of stories anywhere, anytime with Audible. Immerse yourself in gripping stories, insightful knowledge, and captivating characters anytime, anywhere. Audible is your library on the go. With hundreds of thousands of titles across every genre, there's a world of reading waiting for your ears. Listen while you cook, clean, or commute. Free your eyes to conquer your day, all while feeding your mind. Start your 30-day free trial today and discover the joy of listening. Go to audibletrial.com slash TAC. That stands for The Activity Continues. With your free 30-day trial, you get one credit, two credits if you're a Prime member, good for any premium selection titles you like, yours to keep. You get the Audible Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible originals. Listen all you want. No credits needed. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash TAC. If you're a regular listener, you know we love our three spirit drinks. They are the non-alcoholic spirit drinks that are taking the world by storm. Three Spirit is a range of three distinct drinks, each with its own unique flavor and effect. The Livener is a refreshing and invigorating drink that is perfect for starting your day or night. The Social Elixir is a smooth and sophisticated drink that's perfect for sharing with friends. And the Nightcap is a calming and relaxing drink that's perfect for winding down before bed. All three drinks are made with plant-based ingredients and are free from alcohol, gluten, and sugar. They're also vegan and ethically sourced. So whether you're looking for a delicious and refreshing drink to enjoy on its own or a sophisticated non-alcoholic alternative to cocktails, Three Spirit is the perfect choice for you. Try Three Spirit today and discover the difference. Visit us.3spiritdrinks.com and use the promo code The Activity Continues for 15% off your entire order. Cheers! That was the best one yet. All right. So, Amy, let's dive in. Um, You spent a lot of time researching this. 
and you put out a lot of asks for people to reach out to you and give you personal stories they might have had about Kid Can and, you know, or things they've heard of him. And you actually came up with a lot more than I realized you did um, looking over some of the notes earlier today. So let's let's hear about what you learned. Okay. Well, the first one I want to tell you about is I'm just going to call her Source One. Um, I found her on Nextdoor. I actually had posted about how I was doing this and did anybody have any stories about Kid Can? And she called me. And the first thing she said is, well, he is a friend of the family. And I was like, what? I struck gold. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. She's amazing. So um, she called him Fergie. She knew him in later years. She met him when her father was on the jury of the transit scandal trial in 1960. So that's when she met him. And that's when her father met him. And then after the trial, they became friends. And they would go down to Miami together and hang out together in Miami. And during that transit case, she was working at City Hall. And she would go out to lunch with her parents at when they had breaks in the trial. And they'd go to Sheik's Cafe, she said, which I do believe ended up being Sheik's Disco in the 80s. And then it was a strip club after that. Yep. A gentleman's um, club. Yes. Yeah, that's probably the more <laughs> PC way to say it. But um, I used to go there in the 80s for dancing. Mm. And it was a blast. It was called Graffiti's. Oh, wow. It was super cool. It was so <laughs> 80s. So <laughs> 80s. Everything. It was like the black light so that your eyeballs would shine. And everybody had their fingerless gloves and everything. It was amazing. <laughs> amazing. I loved it. We, My friend Rachel and I used to go there all the time, all through college. Anyway, Sheik's Cafe. Um, and so then they would all go out there and her parents would be like, there's the attorney for Kid Can. Oh, there's the attorney for the other guy and all that. And she didn't really, she was a kid, really. She didn't, she didn't, it wasn't that impressive to her, but they were like real excited about it. Um, then she also mentioned that she would sometimes go to Charlie's and I'm like, Charlie's, she goes, don't you know, Charlie's? And I'm like, I don't think so. And then I was like, wait, Charlie's cafe exceptionnel. <laughs> yes, that's the one. And she actually told me that she had her, her uh, engagement dinner there when she got engaged oh. to her husband, her, her family took her there. So I got to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to her again because we had such a blast. We actually ended up meeting and, um, she, we sat down together and she gave me a bunch of pictures to look at and stuff. She even let me take some of them home. Now I'm going to meet her up, meet up with her again and return them to her. But, um, anyway, back to Charlie's. I know we talked about having the potato salad while we were doing this one, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't plan ahead and I did not make the potato salad, but I'm thinking that. If I can get enough about Charlie's, we could do a whole deep dive on Charlie's and we Ooh, can eat the potato, eat the salad, potato salad. Maybe right. we could even cook it together. We could, as a we could do a cooking demonstration. <laughs> that would be fun. That's a good idea. Okay. So during the trial, this is one thing I thought was kind of fun. During the trial, she noticed that when she and her boyfriend were outside her house in his car, necking, as she said. They noticed that someone was watching them kind of like she didn't say she said they weren't exactly like following them all around town, but there was somebody in a car watching her 
And she thinks it was maybe to be sure that nobody was approaching her or her family to, because her dad was on the trial. Oh. And she thought maybe it was like to make sure that there was no jury tampering or anything, which, you know, it, there were stories about that afterwards that that is indeed what happened. And that's why he got away with everything and everybody else went down. She doesn't think that's what happened. She didn't say that's what happened. She doesn't believe that's what happened. But, um, but she did say there were people watching her and she said they probably just wanted to know what, you know, the daughter of the, a guy on the trial who she was with, who she was talking to, who she was seeing, you know? <laughs> and then I asked her to confirm that he hated the name Kid Can. And she said she didn't know because it was never used. They always just called him Fergie. And she knew his name was Isidore Blumenfeld and he was called Mr. Blumenfeld at restaurants and stuff. But, um, but that she only knew him as Fergie and they never talked about, um, the name Kid Can if he liked it or not. And so she told me also that during his real estate years, when he was involved in developing real estate buildings and stuff, he had to wear a hard hat when he was on the site. And somehow she ended up with that hard hat. And it's, it actually said Fergie on it. And she, um, doesn't have it anymore. She doesn't know what happened to it, but she got it after he died when his wife Lillian was giving away and or selling his stuff. So she had it. Interesting. Now, what I find is really confusing and strange is that her father was friends with him and then her father ended up on the jury. I don't understand well, how that could happen. She said that he was friends with him only after the trial. They became friends. Oh, as a result after of the it, trial. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 I missed yes. that part. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I didn't say that, but that's, that's, that's how it, that's how, that's how she remembers it. That's what, okay. that's what she knows. However, she did tell me that her dad was a bootlegger back in the prohibition days. Right. And I was like, are you telling me that your dad didn't know him back in the day ben, when they were right. bootlegging? And she's like, no, I, that, as far as I know, they didn't know each other. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe they did. But uh, he still got on the, on the jury. So, um, no, I, I think either he did not, they did not know each other or they hit it very well. And it would be hard to hide that, you know? I would think. Everybody knew who Izzy was hanging out with, I think. I don't know. Um, she also told me a story about how when they would go to dinner and the host would call Mr. Blumenfeld or Blumenfield, I don't know if they said his name right or not, uh, your table is ready. And she said there would be a whole lot of people like standing around and being like, that's him, that's him right there. And he, she said he did not like the attention. He is not somebody, and I, I kind of got that from all the stuff we talked about, all the research I did, that he really didn't like, um, he did not like the spotlight shown on him. And, and a lot of times people who are doing shady shit, you know, that makes sense. Look the other way. Don't look at me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that he was also very upset when he would get in the papers and then his family would get upset because, you know, he has all these brothers and sisters who all had children who had children. And he said every time that he got in the paper, it would upset them. And he felt terrible about that. He just wanted to be left alone. So that's, that makes sense. Um, she said that he gave her son a dollar once. <laughs> I don't remember what the circumstances were there. I, I, he probably said something like, don't spend it all in one place or something. Um, and then whenever they would go, uh, whenever 
he and Lillian would go out with her parents, he would he would say to the ladies, you broads get in the back. <laughs> he wanted the broads in the back of the car. So um, here's one thing. I don't know if this is going to work, but this is a picture. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She she gave it to me to take home. I have to give it back to her. But um, this this is Izzy, Fergie, and this is her dad. And I'm leaving it far enough away so hopefully nobody can see him. I think my and parents then, um, had a car like that when I was like six. That was his car. It definitely looks like it was like taken in like the early to mid 70s. Yeah, it might have been. It might have been. And so somebody wrote on the back, oh, let's see if I can get that. I'm covering his name, but it oh, says yeah. mm-hmm. Kid Can, AKA Isadora Blumenfeld, crossed off field. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, she also sent me home with this, which I have to give back to her. This is a letter from the United States, United States District Court um, from the court clerk. A letter to her father, and I've covered his name, but um, I don't know. You're not going to be able to read that or anything. But it says, I want to thank you for foregoing your usual pursuits and serving as a juror on the so-called Twin City Rapid Transit case. I am sure nobody believed the trial would be so time-consuming. I know the remuneration you received is not at all adequate to compensate for the disruption of your personal affairs and the really valuable service you rendered the court. Should you perchance be called on for jury duty in the future, it would certainly be proper to ask to be excused on the grounds that you have already served longer than a person should be expected to serve in a lifetime. I know your experience on the jury has been of value to you and that you have gained real knowledge of the administration of justice in our courts and the personal satisfaction of knowing you have had a place in so vital a branch of our government. On behalf of Judge Norby, as well as myself, I want to express our sincere appreciation. Sincerely, Frank A. Massey. Wow, I didn't get a letter like that when I was on jury duty. (laughs) So that's, those are some things that she gave me and I'm going to meet with her again and I can't wait because she is a delight. <laughs> oh, I did ask her if Kid Can, if she, her dad knew Kid Can before the trial. And she said, no, not as far as she knew. Um, but she did say that a lot of this stuff, whenever I'd ask her like for details, she'd be like, I don't know because this was not stuff we talked about. You weren't supposed to ask. You just don't ask, so don't tell. You got the sense that she kind of knew that something wasn't. Right. Either she knew or she suspected, but wasn't sure and just didn't want to. Just knew better than to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So she also told me that she remembers that when Fergie died, it was because he had gone into the hospital for a surgery and they botched it and they left something inside him when they sewed him back up. I don't know what sponge or scalpel. I don't know. They left something inside of him. And he got a bad infection and that that's what he died from. Not heart failure, as the papers said. Right. But I don't have his autopsy report, if there even is one. I don't have a coroner's report. I don't know. Maybe somebody does. Um, But and that's just what she remembers, or at least her family knew to be the story. So but they they said he died of heart failure, which, of course, everybody dies of heart failure eventually. I mean. That's what happens. Your heart stops and you're dead. Um, She also told me that she remembers that Fergie took the fall for somebody in one of these cases that was going on in the 1960, 61. And she thinks it was one of his brothers. 
And I told her that his brothers were both also indicted and convicted in the liquor probe. So he couldn't have covered for them in that way. And she said, no, I think it was the white slavery case. So then I'm thinking, well, neither of his brothers had anything to do with that as far as as far as I can tell, as far as what was in the papers. I mean, the woman testified that it was, you know, Izzy she was having the affair with. So um, I don't know. I guess we'll dig into that when we do the uh, deep dive on that. So there might be a little bit more there. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then remember how at the sentencing in 1961, his lawyer made him out to be like super frail yeah. and sickly. And we talked about like how Robert Durst and right. Harry Weinstein yep. and all those guys pull that shit. Um, so I asked her if she remembers him being sickly because she knew him after that. And she said, no, not at all. She <laughs> said he seemed like t- to be a very healthy guy. And she and said- And he certainly she, looked healthy in that picture you just showed. And, yep. Right. And he lived another 20 years after the sentencing where he was, you know, according to his lawyer, falling apart at the seams. And then he lived another 20 years. And she does not remember him being sickly. Um, she thinks it was probably something that the uh, the lawyers just made up. For sympathy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it worked. Maybe that's. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so if uh, if you're listening to this and not watching and you didn't see the pictures I put up, don't worry. I'm going to put them on the blog and on all the socials. So this woman, she was a delight. I can't wait to meet her again. Um, she's had a really interesting life herself. We spent most of the time actually talking about her. And she's really, really interesting. And I told her that maybe she should have a podcast about her life. And she kind of just looked at me and went, maybe. <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe I can convince her. <laughs> All right. So then uh, source number two is one that sort of disappeared. Uh, we spoke the first time back in May, and I haven't heard from her since. And I have reached out, but I haven't heard back. It's fine. I get it. Um, she mentioned that she had been working for a government agency, which I won't name, um, back in the 70s. And she did want me to make sure to point out that it was very gender biased. It was men did not like her having the job. She was a special agent. And the men thought she was taking a job away from a man. And then she was also Jewish, which uh, made them, you know, rank her down a little bit lower too, which is awful. She was assigned to look for cases where people weren't paying their taxes. You know, like how we talked about that's how they get those guys is on tax evasion. So she um, she said she doesn't remember if she was given it or if she offered to do it because she was interested in it. She was Jewish, so she thought she could get in with the people that were doing it. Not that they're all Jewish, but enough of them were. Um, and this was in the 70s. So it was long after Kid Can's people were around. But there were some other restaurants, bars that continued these practices, gambling, and mostly um, they had um, bookie, bookie rooms or whatever. So like in the, there'd be a secret room upstairs where they did all their accounting and stuff. Um, she also told me about how um, when the Jewish immigrants came from the old country, like Romania, in the 1900s, they would sell their wares by wagons. They put all their stuff mm-hmm. on wagons. And then when the wagons went away and the trucks started coming out, these same guys are now needing a job and they would drive those trucks. They'd be delivery drivers. 
So, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. And they were the ones that opened up the Army Navy surplus stores. And oh. I remember there being a big store downtown over by. In the warehouse area. Yeah, right? in the warehouse district. Yep. I've been there. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I went there for Halloween looking for stuff. And then, yep. you know, when I was in in college in the 80s, it was a, it was really a big deal to um, wear all those fatigues and all that stuff and combat boots yep. and everything. And that's where everybody went to get their stuff. And she mentioned that her grandfather had a vegetable and fruit stand, produce stand. And it made me, it made me wonder if, if she was related to those guys in the episode, uh, the bumbling crew where the, the night of the murder of, uh, Walter Liggett and Kid Can was doing his rounds all over the town. And one of the places he stopped at was, um, a produce stand. Oh, by I two guys, Max Levine and Robert Lindgren. So I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know about that when I met with her. So I didn't, um, I didn't ask her about that, but I, but she did say that she's pretty sure that her grandfather knew Kid Can, but she didn't have any real stories. She also said that it was well known back then that the city council members would go to the police and erase any infractions that the syndicate and combination types had on their record. She also talked about uh, being a mob wife, and she said those ladies they had it great. <laughs> um, she they treated their women very well, and she said like the men would go off and do their killing, and then they'd come home and bring diamonds to their wives. And she's like, who wouldn't love that lifestyle? Well, I've watched The Sopranos, and yeah, I mean Carmela had it pretty good, except for all the cheating and you know abuse. But right, yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, aside from that, um, that reminds me also the first, my first source, she told me that Fergie and his wife Lillian were madly in love with each other. Oh. And I was like, oh, because remember last time I was like, I don't know why she's married to him. He's obviously <laughs> having an affair with this 20 year old girl. Well, I forgot about the yep. diamonds and she was madly in love. So, yeah. Uh, so this woman, she knew a lot of people who knew the family, but she wanted to reach out to all of them before giving me their phone numbers. And then she actually never got around to reaching out to them. And so I never heard from her again, except for her to tell me that she hadn't done it yet. And she's like, I don't, I don't know why I haven't done it yet. I guess I'm just procrastinating. And then she just ghosted me. So it's fine. I get it. Um, if you're listening, lady who helped me out. Um, I don't blame you at all. It's all good. I get it why you wouldn't want to get too involved. Okay. And then the third person that I spoke to is um, a guy whose family member, we talked about him before, his family member was supposedly one of the alibi witnesses at the Liggett murder trial. Oh. Mm -hmm. And he says that this family member saw Kid Can at the time of the murder drinking and gambling in a bar, and that's what he so testified he couldn't to. Could possibly have been present at the murder, right? Okay, well, right. And he said he he could have had it done, but he didn't do it. <laughs> Which okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of people that wanted to shut up Walter Leggett, so yeah, it didn't it didn't really matter if it was him or not. I mean. I don't know that he would have been the one to make the call. I don't know. Maybe he was. Anyway, this guy was great. He had a lot of good stories about Minneapolis in the 40s through 60s, 70s. Um, so 
if and when we cover those stories, I'm going to reach out to him again. He was really fun to talk to. He had some great, great stories that don't pertain to this realm at all, but they were still interesting. And I, I'm keeping those in the back of my my mental um, file cabinet. He did say that he met JFK when he was in the city campaigning wow. to be president. Yeah, I mean, Soul Flowers, a guy named, uh, you might know this name, Senator John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Kennedy was uh, campaigning for president, and he came through an alum, uh, uh, convertible. And he stopped in front of the house, and he asked me how much the flowers were. I says, would a dollar, two dozen red roses be too much? Well, I'll pay you that. That's before I had it been around 60 or 61, I would think. That was when he was running for president. But I thought he was my, one of the nicest guys I ever met. And he just went back to the car, and I think if Jackie was with him, he'd give him to somebody. I don't remember if it was Jackie or who, but he gave the flowers to somebody in the convertible. Probably was his wife, Jackie. I oh, thinks it was his wife, but he's not sure. <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be great if it was Marilyn? <laughs> I know, I know, I was thinking that too. So he was super fun, um, and I, I would like to talk to him again too. I don't know if he's listening. I don't know that he even knows what a podcast is, but how um, old was he? He was great. He must, if he was a kid in the, I guess early sixties, sixties. Okay. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, I think he's, all these people were in their 70s. All the, the three I'm talking about, right. they were all in their 70s. So we are going to talk about some of the leads that came from the various Facebook groups. Um, would this be a good uh, time to stop and refresh our cocktail? Take a break. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yep. Let's do it. So Amy posted looking for information on various Facebook groups and got a variety of people weighing in and different responses. We have one here on the name, the Bloom name. Um, This is from a woman who actually wrote an article about his family for a local website. And she was also a source who sent Amy some articles. Um, It says, his brother changed his name to Harry Bloom and his other brother to Yiddy Bloom, but I've never heard that Kid Can ever went by that, except when he got arrested for the Cotton Club murder and gave his name as Harry Bloom. First, I thought the reporter made a mistake. Then someone said he did it on purpose. And then there was a response that said, yes, during the Liggett murder trial, he was asked about the spelling and he replied that he had a complicated name, and that sometimes he went by Bloom. His siblings all changed their names. Yiddy was born Isaac, went by Jake, and then legally changed his name to Yiddy. And then another person replied, on that topic, I may be asking this question a couple of decades too late. I've read that in his later life in Florida, his friends called him Fergie, apparently short for Ferguson. As someone pointed out, this name could be a play on the Yiddish, and I'm going to bastardize this, <laughs> Ich Ferguson, which means I forget, and I do apologize to our Jewish <laughs> listeners. 
but I forget he could have, it could have been a play on the Yiddish for I forget. Many years ago, I, this is still somebody replying, many years ago, I heard an old Northsider refer to him as Izzy Bloom, which made sense as both his brothers, Yiddy and Harry, used Bloom. Sadly, that old guy died before I could ask him more about it, which brings us to the question, what did his friends and family members call him? Does anybody remember? And someone answered to that. They just said, yes, it was Blumenfield, but he changed it, and so did his brothers. No one answered the Fergie question, but we know from Amy's source that we were just talking about that this is true, um, especially during his time in Florida. So there were some other people who responded to different things, um, saying that they knew him. One guy wrote, I worked in a brokerage office where Kid Can had an account. This was in the late 60s. He came in one day accompanied by what I assumed to be a bodyguard. This guy was huge and right out of central casting. Mr. Blumenfeld was chatting up a secretary, a blonde bombshell. He offered her a trip down to Florida with him since it was cold up here. The little voice in my head suggested that I say, are you bringing a heater? But I deferred to common sense and shut up. <laughs> I love that. And then on a different thread, the same person um, said he had an account at the brokerage firm I worked at in the 60s. He would come in with his huge guy right out of central casting who just stood there looking menacing. We had a receptionist who was this wonderful blonde. He was chatting her up, talking about how cold it was here in Minneapolis and how nice it was in Florida where he was going. I was tempted to ask if he was bringing his heater with, but decided, considering the big guy, not to. <laughs> That's probably wise. <laughs> yep. And then here's another story from a person whose father knew Kid Can. Yeah, this nice one was story. on next door, actually. Okay. Um, she says, my parents were both blind. There were eight children and very little money. My dad started the world's most dangerous polka band at Nye's, mm -hmm. which I have seen. Um, everyone knew Joe, the blind drummer one night while walking home from Nye's dad got jumped in what used to be called bum park, but is now known as shoot square. Dad had his head cracked open and had to go to the hospital. He was robbed of the couple bucks he had on him. Not very long after that, my mother would receive envelopes with cash in them to help her get by. I was really young, but I remember the man coming up to our house to tell my mom that Mr. Can would be looking out for her. And he did. And then, Amy, you responded to her and you said, wow, interesting. I have seen that band at Nice. I used to go there in college in the late 80s. Thanks for the story. Yep. <laughs> you got around a lot. You were quite the social butterfly in your college days. I was way more than I am now. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Which brings us to back in 2000 sometime. I think it was around 2000. Um, I had a friend who was working at First Avenue. And uh, there was a committee that was being started. Well, and this is when I had my, um, my music blog, Collected Sounds. And this friend of mine said, oh, I think you should be on this committee. I'll give you the name of the guy that's running it. And his name was Steve McClellan. And anybody who knows music in Minneapolis well anywhere knows First Avenue knows who this guy is. Um, 
I, I try. I went to the meetings, and it just ended up being like, where all they really wanted you to do is go to the shows and like sit at the door and hand out flyers and stuff. Right. And I didn't want to do that, so I kind of backed out of that. But I met the guy, and he was really nice. And so when I was looking on Facebook for stuff, um, he commented about Kid Can on one of these threads. And so I was like, wait a minute, I know him. So I sent him an email. And I said, you probably don't remember me, but um, I saw that you commented on on this uh, Kid Can thread on Facebook, and I am doing this podcast. I want to know if you know anything. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know some stuff. Uh, like, what do you want? And I go, well, anything? I'll take anything. <laughs> anything. So um, he sent me this email, and I'll just read you the email. Um, he said, I was born in 1950. Thus, I was only a toddler or in grade school when Minneapolis liquor licenses were being controlled by the Jewish mafia of the time, Isidore Blumenfeld, a.k.a. Kid Can, and one of his henchmen, Abe Perkansky. Just prior to the city closing down. <laughs> yeah, old Abe. Um, this was just prior to the city closing down the Flame Bar in the late 70s. He did not know about the club's or Abe's history in regard to the Kid Can era. Uh, he said, I was involved in the political scene in college and learned that Hubert Humphrey was given credit for chasing Kid Can out of town, but even later learned all third-hand information, some of it reading books on the subject, that Hubert Humphrey actually received financial support from Blumenfeld when he was mayor of Minneapolis. And part of getting Blumenfeld to leave town and live in a comfortable retirement in Florida was part of Humphrey's payback. So then um, he's like, anyway, when I met with Abe Perkansky, and I was like, you what? <laughs> and he said, the flame was in decline and bringing in an audience, quote, not desirable to the community, according to the city officials at the time. Basically, downtown did not want black audiences to get comfortable and venues like the flame and other bars bringing in black clientele were forced to close. He said, since I started to bartend and then did manage a club called Uncle Sam's in the early <laughs> 70s, we later changed the name to First Avenue in the early 80s. I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of that. <laughs> he said, I did this during and after I stopped taking classes at the U of M. I got more involved in the history of downtown nightclubs. A good read is Augie's Secrets, published by the University Press about the downtown nightclubs and mafia influences, which I've referred to this book before mm -hmm. I read it. It's... Super entertaining. Uh, the guy's a good writer. It's really fun to read. However, I've also um, heard that most of it's not true. But whatever. It's a fun read. He said, anyway, uh, most of my knowledge about Kid Can is later history that I read or heard third hand from sources that either were involved in downtown business or in Minneapolis political circles. So then I was so excited that he met Abe Perkansky, and I wanted to know more about that. So I asked him about that, and he said, so when I met Abe, I actually sympathized with his exclamation of why the city was revoking his liquor license. From early Uncle Sam's days, I realized the downtown business establishment, the Minneapolis Police Department, and the city leaders of the time, and he puts all this in, in caps, did not want black audiences downtown. The flame had started to fill with the, quote, funky crowd that lived in the neighborhood back in the <laughs> early 70s. Nicollet Avenue, south of downtown, oh. was not a highbrow neighborhood. I specifically remember Abe saying something to the effect, all I have done to survive in this venue is adapt to the neighborhood the city has handed me over the years. 
And I knew nothing about this. I mean, I knew about the flame and it was, it did have a lot of black acts would come in, like famous, famous black people came in and played at the flame. And what I had heard was that the audiences were very diverse, that there was a lot of black people there, but there were also a lot of white people there, Mm -hmm. especially um, Jewish people. So I can see why they, you know, like to have their spot. So yeah, that's, that's upsetting to me to find out that that, uh, that that was happening back then, but not surprising, not at all, but unfortunate anyway. So we have a couple other responses. Um, Okay. So this next one is one that I gave Heather to read. Um, And I just noted that I, I am super dense. I read this. I probably read it five times and it still doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know how any of this would have impacted this person's life. Maybe somebody else can figure it out. Maybe Heather, you'll understand it a little bit. Okay. So this is what they wrote. These mugs once did my father a favor, which greatly benefited as it turned out a very young at the time, me. All I know is a certain divorce case was being held up in court. My dad was being bled dry. The details of this case were divulged during a legitimate business discussion and a solution was offered to which my horrified dad said something like, are you nuts? Get the hell out of here. Nevertheless, weeks later, my dad's case was mysteriously moved to head of the docket. He prevailed and my life was changed forever. I mean, it sounds like his parents were getting divorced and his dad was getting all the money taken away from him. And these mugs must have found out something derogatory about the mother, right? And that... Right. Well, it says the details of the case were divulged during a legitimate business discussion so maybe his father was a business associate yeah maybe and helped him out it sounds to me like they had to have gotten some dirt on the mother mother yeah in order for the dad to have have the for the trial to be finished and my dad's case was mysteriously moved to head of the docket he prevailed and my life was changed forever wow Yeah. yeah there's not a lot of detail there um, I wonder if that poor guy ever saw his mother again. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, maybe he didn't want to. Maybe she was a ne'er-do-well. <laughs> and then we have another one. Had drinks with Kid Can way back in the day. Don't even remember if we were old enough to drink. We had heard the name, but didn't know all the background. So we weren't too impressed. Just some old guy who bought us a drink. Kind of cool. I mean, that tracks because he was always looking at young ladies and chatting, chatting them up and stuff. And then we have another person who says, I lived a block away from him on Oakland Avenue. On Halloween, his maid would answer the door and give a bag of candy to each kid. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess as a kid, you would remember something like that. Of course. Everybody likes the candy. Um, Another guy, Alan, he says, I used to shine kid can shoes in front of Addison's bar on Franklin Avenue. He always tipped you well. (laughs) And then someone quite succinctly just posted piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. I can just see that guy type piece of shit. (laughs) 
<laughs> I actually, I won't, well, you, you can cut this out, but I commented on a, uh, Aaron Rodgers post today, Amy, I'm just talking yeah. to you. Um, and I just wrote piece of shit <laughs> and I, and I hadn't even read the shit. I think we should leave that in. <laughs> you can. It is a piece of shit. <laughs> Lying about being vaccinated. A turd. <laughs> and then getting sick. And hopefully you didn't get anyone else sick. Dumb fucker. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, here's another one that said, I heard he had something to do with Sunset Memorial Garden Cemetery. Sold cemetery plots to people, then resold the same plots to someone else. Wonder if this is true, and what did they do with the bodies that were supposed to be buried? Oh. Well, I looked into this. <laughs> I looked in the newspapers.com. I did regular Google searches. I couldn't find anything about a story about this coming out. Maybe it never came out, but maybe it never happened either. But Sunset Memorial Gardens does have a Facebook page, and all the reviews are negative. Terrible customer service. Oh, wow. And didn't you visit? Didn't you visit Izzy at I the did, cemetery this that, week? Not that cemetery. He's at the Adath oh, okay. Jeshurun. Okay. Um, there's one more word, and I don't think it's just cemetery. Anyway, I did. I went out. Um, I was. I had to go to Edina to renew my driver's license, and I took the long way because I don't like. I didn't have a driver's license on my way out, so uh, I was expired. <laughs> so, um, so I drove. I didn't want to get on a hundred. Because I'm like, what if I get pulled over? So I I took the long way and went down France Avenue, Xerxes in France. And I was like, ooh, the cemetery's coming up. And I don't know if I mentioned this. Did we talk about this before? I don't think we did. I don't know. We tried to go we tried to a couple go, weeks ago. Not last weekend, but the weekend before. Oh, I think we okay. did mention and this, And that actually, it was closed. Yeah, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a Jewish a, holiday. And we didn't realize the cemetery Sabbath would be closed. We're, I'm too yeah. dumb to realize that. Oh, it was the Sabbath. That yeah. uh, mm -hmm. it was closed. So um, anyway, um, yeah. So I'm driving by there and I couldn't stop on my way out because um, I was getting going to be late for my appointment. But on the way back, I was like, I'm just going to pop in and see if I can find him. And I didn't have any of my notes with me. I didn't, I didn't know where he was in there. So I just got in. It's a really cute cemetery. It's a real hilly, little tiny road to drive around. And I drove all the way around. And then I was like, you know, this is stupid. I'm going to pull over and just Google where is he buried. And I found it. Section three, row one, fourth grave from the left. So I, I parked and I got out and I walked over and I almost didn't see the graves because they are literally like I don't know. What's that? Like a foot wide, maybe 14 inches wide, eight inches tall. They're really small little markers, which I found interesting because they were pretty wealthy, but they were very small markers and most of them were grown over. They were, you know, there was. Right. You said you fall, cleared it so off I cleared for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to take video. And so I did clean them with my foot. And then I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like um, bad to do that, like to not clean them off with your hands. I don't know. Anyway, I did clean <laughs> off some of them with my hands, too. But um, but so I, I cleaned off um, the so it was Morris Fogel and Blanche Fogel. Blanche is Lillian's sister. So it was Morris and Blanche. 
and then Isidore and Lillian. And then I believe next to them was Anne and Sam Shink, who Anne is his sister. And then down the way a little bit further was Yidi Bloom and his wife, Verna. I couldn't find Harry. I didn't, I mean, I just, they weren't in that section. Right. Um, and then there was another section of other people with different names that I didn't know. But there was, um, there was a something in the ground. I don't know how you describe it. It's not a headstone, but it was like a little planter kind of thing. And it had some dead okay. flowers in it. Um, but, and that said Blumenfeld on the bottom or Blumenfield on the bottom. His grave and Lillian's both say Blumenfield. Um, and everybody else's Bloom or whatever their other real name was. Um, Yiddy and Verna's graves were clean. They had been, somebody's taken care of those, but everybody else's were all grown over. That's really interesting. Yeah. I wonder who those, maybe probably their kids. Yeah, their or kids, kids, kids or something. Yeah, somebody in the yeah. family's probably keeping track of that. Or maybe there's, maybe the, uh, there was some kind of, like maybe they paid extra when he was buried to say, keep it clean. <laughs> I don't know. I assume you can do that. I don't know. So, yeah, that was fun. And I think we should go back because there's other people there that I want to see. And you probably want to see it. So, yeah, yeah, we, we'll go back again some Sunday. And we get to go out and exactly. eat brunch and eat dino, yeah, which is always fun. Yeah, we had a fun. good brunch at the Edina Grill. <laughs> Bloody Marys and everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then um, the next one I found was um, somebody wrote, seen on the wall of a men's restroom in Fort Hall, Philosophy Department, University of Minnesota, circa 1967. Emmanuel can't, but kid can. Ah, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> so another comment we have here is, my grandmother would talk about working for kid can, making shoebox deliveries for him and his cohorts. I remember her saying that she never looked inside the shoe boxes, but she figured it was stacks of money. It probably was. Remember yes. back in the um, Excelsior scandal, Excelsior baking scandal, and they said that they had to pay Kid Can and his his um, cohort uh, Joey Schwartz or Schwartz maybe um, that they paid them cash that was in like paper bags. So it's interesting that they would hire a young girl to go around and do that because it it's kind of dangerous to walk around with that yeah. amount of money, I would think. And you're carrying a shoebox. I mean, it's kind of suspicious. And but, you know, at least it's going to no one's going to look at a little girl walking around with a shoebox where a businessman right. walking around the shoebox, especially if he's part of the syndicate. Mm hmm. Another one wrote, my sister lives in his house, found some prohibition alcohol bottles in the wall when remodeling. <laughs> That's so fun. I That's know. Cool. I love it. And then we have, when I was a kid, my mom had told me about a time my great grandpa had told her that my great grandma and my grandpa had been robbed in their house by Kid Can. I don't know a lot of details about the situation, but saw this and that story brought me back crazy um so we haven't found any proof that he ever did house no, robberies I, it doesn't seem like um, his jam it doesn't seem like no. his style at all um 
you know, he might have known people who robbed houses, but yeah, you know, someone else wrote, my grandfather's first job was working in one of Can's, Kid Can's places, bar backing. His name wasn't on the liquor license, but everybody knew who it belonged to. Not surprising. Um, and then you can say the name of this Facebook. One. Okay. Steve Polsky um, writes. Harry had a very large house on France Avenue when I was growing up. On Halloween, he gave out quarter candy bars when everyone else gave out nickel candy bars. When I grew up, he had dinner with me on many Sundays at the Market Barbecue. The Polskis owned the Market Barbecue. Okay. I used to live near the Market Barbecue and frequented it myself um but yes two people made halloween comments yes. about the, the amount of candy he gave out yep. so interesting <laughs> I thought so too. um next we have my grandfather was abe brownie brownstein i would love to know more and willing to share my stories from my childhood i met with paul maccabee once and he gave me information my grandparents had a lake home in detroit lakes that we spent every summer there if those walls could talk, <laughs> many of the locals have stories to tell. I loved my grandparents and they were normal people to me, but the excitement of the gangster days were over for them when I was growing up, but would love to know more. Yeah, I, this when I saw this, I was like, you're Abe Brownie Brownstein's granddaughter? And I did, I sent right? her a message, but um, this comment was like eight years ago or something on an old, old thread. This wasn't on mine. And so I sent her a message via Facebook and I did not hear anything back. I don't know if she's even still on Facebook. Yeah. She might not be around anymore. I don't know. Um, We have another Facebook poster. My great uncle came up from Wabasha to escape the poverty. He was 14 years and Kid Can paid him to Roll drunks. I don't know how long my uncle did that. I don't know what roll drunks means. It you means uh, knock them over them and take or... their money. Oh, well, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Or interesting, mug them, which also yeah. doesn't sound like his style. Why would Kid Can need to roll drunks to get money? And why would he pay a fourteen-year-old? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying the guy's it. lying. I'm just saying. You know, it's like a game of telephone. Exactly. exactly. You know, the stories change once they're passed down from yes. generation to generation. Yes. So, Well, and this other one, this is from somebody who calls himself Ugo Stinko, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. He sent me an email and he said, I'm unsure about how, not, how much you know about Isidore or Minneapolis already. So I'm going to give you some general info. My family and my studies told me the grave of Isidore is at Adath Yushiran. Cemetery. It's two rows from my great-grandparents. Fulton is a neighborhood in southwest Minneapolis, built to tap into the market of Blacks, Jews, Irish, Italian, and other groups who were prohibited from buying land in neighboring Edina. There are old pictures my family had of signs in parks saying, no Blacks, Jews, Italians, Mexicans, dogs. Ah. It's crazy to me that they... they Thought they were the same as dogs. (laughs) Blumenfeld had connections who could make him fake permits for construction. 
We aren't sure if he did it for virtue or because he saw profit in it. Probably saw profit I in it. Say it's probably yeah. both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's probably both. Um, Isidore built his first mansion using his fraudulent development connections, although he built it in Linden Hills, which is separated by Xerxes Avenue and cornered by 50th Avenue. He built Fulton and named it after Fulton, the man who created the ferry. What What do you think that means? Um, it sounds to me like somebody named Fulton created the ferry boat. Okay. And, and Isidore named his neighborhood or his house. Okay. The area Fulton. Okay. Because it was a legal way to cover up a mobile speakeasy he ran. So, okay, now that I'm thinking about it, mobile speakeasy? Would that be a ferry boat? Yes, probably. Like running a yes. speakeasy on a boat? Yes. Because um, the rules were different on a boat. You know, they weren't... I want right. to say well, that if the... I mean, it's... If the boat was on the water... It's like gambling. A lot of places where you, you know, if you gamble on a boat, yeah. it's it's legal. Right. Like, you can take a ferry boat and once you get onto waters... Even if you're still in whatever city, yeah. you it's can a do different it on a jurisdiction boat. or whatever, different yep. laws. Yep. That's what I think. And then he says he was accused but acquitted of killing a taxi driver in a different case. And in a different case, a newspaper writer. I just want to say everybody says that Charles Goldberg was a taxi driver. And from what I can tell, he was not. Hmm. Abe Perkansky was there. He's a taxi driver. Charles Goldberg was not a taxi driver. Or if he was, he wasn't driving taxi that night. I don't think he was right. a taxi driver. He was just a guy at the bar that was flirting with a girl. But didn't <laughs> like him flirting with a girl. Um, anyway. But the newspaper writer was famous for busting open Blumenfeld's criminal activities. But the court couldn't prove that Isidore himself killed the man. Is Isidore died in 1981 from a failing heart from old age. He moved there to be closer to Meyer Lansky I think he left out the part that he was in Miami, uh, that he went to Miami, because it says he moved there. I think he means Miami to be close to Meyer Lansky and a growing population of Jewish retirees and ex-gangsters. The Jewish population of Fulton has decreased as the taxes have skyrocketed over the last 12 years. It's a weird comment to make, but yeah. Okay, dude. <laughs> okay, I'll go, Stinko. <laughs> Oh, so, okay, we have another another Facebook commenter um, regarding his nickname. He writes, my grandfather used to tell me stories about Kid Can. He told me one about how he got his name. The story goes that when he was young, he was in a place that got raided. He hid in the bathroom and didn't get caught. Hence the name Kid Can. I don't know if it's true, but I hope it is. <laughs> well, that certainly is the lore. That's what everybody <laughs> says. Okay. And then I did, I was looking up his houses because so many people say, oh, I lived in Kid Can's house. Um, and if if that was true of everybody who said that, he would have had to move like every three weeks to have right. lived in all these homes. But what I've gathered is that his uh, his first adult home when he didn't live with his parents anymore was at 35th and Colfax, but I don't know the address for sure. And I don't even know if it's North or South. And then his second home, his second adult home was an apartment at 3948 first Avenue. And I have pictures of all of these. So I don't know 
for the audio version of this, I'll probably just leave this stuff out and then we'll keep it in for the video. So those watching the video version of this are, will be able to see the pictures that, um, that I have of these different homes. He also lived at 3417 West 38th. This is across the street from the Minicata Golf Course. It's a really cute area. And then he had a home at 2305 Mount View Avenue. Then 5900 Oakland. So the lore says that he built this house for his mother, but never lived there. But author Paul Maccabee says that he lived there between 1957 and 1961. And the house was built in 1952. And I did confirm that that's when the house was built. I looked up Hennepin County records. So if the house was built in 1952, it would have been silly for him to let it sit there for nine years with no one living in it because he was trying to sell it in 1959 right. when he was going to leave town. And they were like, oh, he's selling his house at 5900 Oakland, but he had never lived there. But I don't see how that's possible. I can't imagine he would build a house and then nobody would live there or he wouldn't live there. Right. That doesn't make yeah. sense, but I don't know. And then somebody on Facebook said, that beautiful stone house on Glenhurst was my refuge when my parents were fighting. The blooms were wonderful to me. And oh, how I loved that beautiful house. Spent many hours over the years there with my dear friend and her parents. Her mom was the best cook in the world. Now, I don't know if this is Harry and Verna or Yidi and Lenore Bloom. I know they both lived over there, but I don't know which one of them lived on Glenhurst. But everybody that I have heard talk about these guys say that Yiddy Bloom was the nicest man in the world. Everybody loved Yiddy. And he was the baby brother. And maybe he married a great cook. Yeah. Yeah. One of them did. <laughs> Somebody posted a picture uh, of this group of people sitting at a table and apparently it's at the flame bar the same place we were talking about yeah and she said here's a picture of kid can seated with my son-in-law's grandparents kid can is the man on the far right my son-in-law's grandmother is seated next to him on his right we know it was taken in the flame room nightclub but not sure of the approximate year and then i asked her if i could use it for our purposes put it in the blog and stuff and she said yes and so I think for those of you who are listening, not watching, you'll have to check the blog. Um, but he is in this picture and I can tell which one's him. He's second from the right and it looks like him. And it's a really cool picture of these people all in their like fancy outfits sitting around a table. And he's just sitting there with his arm around the woman next to him, which I think is Lillian, although it doesn't really look like her, but it, it probably is. Mm -hmm. And so I'll put that up on all the socials and stuff. It's a great picture. Yeah, they are um, having a good time. <laughs> oh, to be alive back then. So I think we're going to end on a on a nice note. Do you want to read this okay. one? Okay, sure. Looks like this is from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, July 5th, 1981, a week or so after he died. Kid Can was caring, is the headline. 
Thanks, Rabbi Max Shapiro, for being kind enough to mention Isidore Blumenfeld's generosity and kindness. Tribune, June 24th. His friends, present company included, remember. I was a waitress at the Kennesaw drugstore in the 50s and 60s when he would send those these poor fellows into the drugstore and tell us to give them all they could eat and he would pick up the tab. Or the fellows would come in nice and clean with a fresh haircut and shave they got at the barber school. He would pick up the tab. If I were an author and all the people he helped out would give their little stories, I would have a bestseller. My condolences to the family for the loss of one great guy. And that was Elsie in Minneapolis. um it's funny that she said that about, you know, if people would, if she was an author and if people would help out. So Greg and I were out at happy hour last night and a guy came in that we've known for a long time. He's a regular and he listens to the podcast and he said he thinks that I should write a book. About, about uh, this or, okay. About all of this. And I was like, eh, I'm not a writer. And he goes, I think you are and I think you can do it and I think you should. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he would not let it go. You need to write a book. And then Greg and I talked about it on the way home and I was like, well, I've learned that I'm a shitty writer because I was taking this class on Coursera and apparently I don't know how to do anything right because I get shitty grades and whatever. But it's all <laughs> peer review, you know, so nobody wants to really right. they're not, I had one person that was honest and like gave me actual critique and actual feedback. Everybody else was just like, just gave me zeros without saying why. But the thing is with Coursera, a lot of this stuff is people just, um, they cheat, basically. They, you can't see other people's stories unless you put in one of your own. And so they just put in like a one and then submit it. And then they're able to see other people's stories and then they copy them and submit them as their own. So, um, so Greg assured me that I really shouldn't uh, take my experience on Coursera as a word fact that I can't write. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, it would be really fun to write a book, but yeah, I would need people to talk to me. And that's hard. It is, especially with someone who's been dead for 40 yeah. years. Yeah. And especially when it's stuff people don't really want to talk about, you know, or they're scared to talk about. But yeah, it sure would be fun. Sure would be fun. Okay. So I missed an opportunity um, oh. when I think when you sent me the um, the script earlier today. You were gonna. You were. T- this was. I think your one of your sources, and it says when they were in Florida, she told me he would get upset at her mother's dog barking. Oh yeah. And I was worried that he didn't like dogs. So I asked and she said, no, that's not it. He just knew that the barking was bothering neighbors. And I was going to comment that everything that Izzy did and you're worried that he doesn't like dogs. I think well, of course I all, am. I love dogs. I know, but, with, <laughs> but, but he's probably a murderer and but does he like oh, but dogs? But he doesn't like dogs. And then I was going to talk about with all your in-depth um, research and just throwing everything into all of this, maybe you have a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> where you're sympathizing with a criminal. Yeah, I, I might be. 
<laughs> because the people that I spoke to um, knew him as just a regular cool guy. Right. Right. And, and, and because, you know, he says 90% of what's written about him is bullshit. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. And maybe he, I mean, certainly he was a criminal. That much we know. I don't know that he murdered anybody. I don't know that he beat up anybody. I don't know that he robbed anybody. Um, he might have. But if he didn't like dogs, that would make it so much worse. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to even, okay. I forgot to read that part. But yeah. <laughs> I read that. I, in my notes, I wrote, ha ha. <laughs> of course she's of course worried about the dogs. Yep. It's Amy. <laughs> For those listeners who don't know, Amy has quite the menagerie here on. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> Which, you know, maybe we'll leave that in when they came yeah. <laughs> down and Greg had to go get Vivian, put her upstairs. Yeah, our food came. And so. Um, they all lost their damn minds. So thank you, everybody, for listening to us for 11 episodes now. Hopefully you have listened to 11 episodes. I hope that you stay subscribed and will um, be able to see some of the stuff we're doing in between and and then uh, pick up with us in season two, single barrel. Yeah. Very excited for season two. When do you think um, those will I'm drop? I'm thinking, well... I'm going to say February just because I don't want to push it. It would be nice if we could get them out in January. But I know that you and I are both going to be really busy with holidays and stuff like that. So I don't know that we're going to have a whole lot of time to get together to record. And maybe we will. And we'll probably record before then. Yeah. But maybe. Release yeah, yeah. Them that's in what I'm February? thinking. Because I'd like to get a couple of them okay. done before we get started so that we're not like, oh, my yeah. God, we have to record this week and I haven't done anything, you know, like. I have been doing all this season. So um, I want to get ahead of it this time. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Good night. And okie doke. Okie doke. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Volsteadland. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and visit us on all of our social media platforms for extra content. Bolstead Land is produced by me, Amy, at Whimsical Productions and is part of the Collected Sounds Network. Thanks for listening. Okie doke.